Um, Matthew chapter 6, this morning, last week we started Matthew chapter 6 and we began to look at uh, God's view of, of three things, basically, giving, praying, and uh, fasting. And uh, last week we just began to look at the first part of it in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And so let's read that to I'll read that for you this morning, and you can follow along in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be seen in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Last week we looked at the first part of this verse, and we saw that Jesus kind of uses the same pattern each time he talks about one of these three things. And you have to understand, each one of these three things, giving, praying, fasting, was very important in the life of uh, the, the folks of uh, Jesus' day, the Jews at the time. And those were three of the religious things that they did faithfully, pretty much in their faith. And uh, the giving really looked at how uh, their religion act toward others. Their praying showed how the religion acted toward God, and then their fasting toward themselves. And um, he gives basically a, the same address at each time as he addresses these uh, three things. He first gives a warning. He says, don't do it just to seek man's praise. That's, that's not right. And then he gives an assurance. He says, those who do that will get their earthly reward. And then he says, basically, for each one, he gives us a command to perform these things secretly. Privately is the idea. Um, and we're going to look at that this morning. And then also he gives a promise that God who sees in secret will reward openly. And last week, to kind of start off, we looked at the idea of hypocritical behavior and what a hypocrite is and, and how Jesus addresses that here. And, and Scripture overall does not look kindly on someone who is a, a hypocrite, someone who says one thing and does another, someone who wears a mask and isn't true to who they really are. Um, and we looked at the idea of who a hypocrite is. It's somebody who lives for the praise of other people. He puts on a show of righteousness, and yet he really doesn't have any in his heart. Uh, They have a legalistic view toward life, and they kind of impose that legalistic view toward life on others. Uh, They're selective in their obedience to God, was another thing we looked at. Um, They're more interested in criticizing others and condemning others than than really learning about the truth. And that was true of the, the people in Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the scribes. They recognize the failure of others quickly, but not their own. Um, they're always tearing down other people. They, they don't really like to, to build, them, build them up because then they look good if they tear down other people. Um, they have their heart and their, their mind seared. And then uh, also, we even said that they profess to be saved even though they are not. And we looked at verse 1, and we noticed that Jesus, first of all, starts with a pretty strong warning here. That word take heed means to take hold of something and pay attention to it. And uh, he, he wants us to listen up. He wants us to kind of focus in on what he's about to say. And uh, he says, don't do your charitable deeds or your giving, is, is your alms giving. That's what they did. Specifically, it has to do with giving specifically to the poor. But in general, you can, you can say that across the board. Uh, he says, don't do it to be seen by them or by men. In other words, that's not the motivation of our giving 
or our praying or our fasting. And you can apply this to each one because that's what he does. Um, and we talked about the practice and the reward of the uh, false giving or the hypocritical giving because that's what he says there. He says, if you do that, if you, if you do it to be seen by men, you won't have any reward from your Father who is in heaven. It's so important that you understand that that's where our reward is as believers. I mean, yeah, we may get some blessings down here on earth, but our real reward is in heaven with the Father. And the idea is, is if it's in heaven with the Father, then, you know, we give him the glory because he, he is the one that has given us this reward. And see, down here on earth, if we're just pining away trying to get other people to see what we're doing and, and just for the sake of being seen, we're giving or we're praying or we're doing whatever, um, what he's saying here is that's your reward. When someone says, oh, good job. Nice. Boy, that was real nice of you to do that or whatever it is. Um, that's your reward because you're not going to get one in heaven because your motivation is to be seen by men, to get glory for yourself. You're really stealing glory away from the Father. That's kind of what that is saying. And we want to understand this a little more this morning because he goes on there and you notice that he says um, in verse 2, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, when you give an alm or when you help out the poor, whatever it is, when you practice giving in your life as a Christian is what he's saying. So it's not if you do it, but it's when you do it. It's just a given you're going to do it. It's like, you know, sometimes we, we read in, in, in the Word of God certain places where um, and we're going to come to a, a section where it talks about forgiving men their trespasses. It's inconceivable for a Christian to get to a point in their life where they say, I'm not going to forgive you. That's just inconceivable. It's not Christian. It's not the norm. So he's not saying if you do these things, but he's saying when you do them, because that's the norm in a Christian's life. You're going to be giving. You're going to be charitable to people. You're going to be helping out people, the poor, the widows, whoever it might be. And he says, when you do it, don't sound a trumpet. Now, a lot of people have different ideas of what this means. Because in the temple, they had these kind of like upside down trumpets that they would put all the money in. And, uh, you know, when you go to church, you'd put the, they didn't have little magic bags they passed around, but they had these big kind of golden trumpet things, and you'd throw your, your giving in there. And tithes, offerings, whatever it was. And uh, some people say, well, that's what it's referring to. I, you know, no, I don't think so, because it, it says when you sound the trumpet, it just basically has the idea. They, there's not a whole lot of, of evidence that they practice this in Judaism at all. It's not like before they took an offering, somebody came out and blew the trumpet, and okay, now we're going to give. What it really means is, is it's a way of drawing attention to yourself. And so, you know, it could be a trumpet, it could be standing up saying, hey, look at me, look what I'm about to do, or whatever it might be. It's, you know, it's kind of where we get the idea, you know, you toot your own horn. <laughs> it's kind of where it comes from. And it says there, you know, sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do, and where do they do it? In the synagogues. So they go to a religious place and they're doing something, a charitable deed. All these deeds are good deeds. It's good to give alms. It's good to, to uh, pray. It's good to fast. And Jesus recommends that we do that. It's when we do it, not if we do it. But he's saying if you're doing it with the wrong motivation, there's something wrong. That's what a hypocrite would do. And they would do it in a religious place. And they would also do it outside of a religious place in the streets. And it's interesting, when you look at that word streets, it's not talking about just, you know, like a regular street here. It's not talking about Euclid Avenue. 
It has in mind more like, you know, El Camino Real. You know, you're down there on the corner of, uh, you know, uh, Jefferson and El Camino with your trumpet saying, look at me, look what I'm doing. You know, I never forget once a year or twice a year, I don't know what they do, the fire department has a thing, something about the boot. You've seen them around, right? The Redwood City Fire Department or whoever there. They go down there and they stand on the corner there and you're, you're giving toward, I don't even know what it is, children or something, but they all have these big fireman's boots. And, you know, they'll stand right there in the middle of the street practically. And uh, they do it for a day or two or whatever. And it's, it's a fundraiser for a certain charity, obviously, or some cause they're doing. And they have these fireman boots and, you know, you roll down your window and you stick a five in or a buck or a change or whatever. And, you know, that's kind of the idea that they have in mind here is that, you know, you're drawing the attention to yourself when you're doing something that should be purely from your heart to God's heart. And the idea is, is Jesus is saying, if you're doing it for any other reason, if you're doing it to be seen by men, if you're doing it to be seen by, you know, whatever, or you think that somehow even you, you can say this, it's, it even has the idea that if you think that somehow because you're doing this, now it's like, you know, let's make a deal with God kind of thing going on. You know, God, I did this, you know. I, I've been tithing, I've been giving, I've been doing all this stuff. And, you know, okay, where's your blessing in my life? See, that's not how it operates. That's not how it works. And so Jesus kind of addresses that here. And he has called his disciples to be mature in love. And he's turned kind of the, the, the focus of what he's been talking about to the matter of motive. What's the motive behind what we do? And he showed them that these things are, are right things if they're done with the right motives. But if they're done with the wrong motives, look out. And so he uses those three examples of almsgiving or charitable deeds, prayer and fasting. And in each instance, Jesus condemns service with ulterior motives for the praise of men. Or for selfish ambition. He says, if, you're, if, that's, if that's what's in your heart when you're doing this, it's better not to do it. It's just better not to do it. You know, if you come on Sunday morning and the only reason you're coming is to be seen because you've got a new outfit in or, or whatever, then don't come. That's what he's saying. You know, it's funny because around Easter time and even Christmas time and stuff, especially Easter, I remember growing up, you know, we always had to go and buy new clothes, you know, two weeks before Easter. I just hated it because they were all starchy and you had to wear suits and, you know, I grew up in the Catholic Church. And, and I remember, you know, my sister all dressing us up Easter morning and we'd have to go out in the front lawn and take pictures. And it was like, ah, just you know, let us dig in our Easter baskets with all that candy. We don't want to go to church. We don't care about anything else because we weren't Christians. But I remember just the idea that it was this big show and everybody come to church and they'd have their hats on and everybody, boy, they'd look in their finest, you know. And, uh, you know, it was, it was just like a big show. The rest of the year, they probably weren't even there, which is sad. But that's, that's what he has in mind here. He emphasizes service for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of fellowshipping with God, for the sake of giving Him glory. See, that's the purpose of anything we do when it comes to our Christian life. If we do anything in our Christian life with the ulterior motive of making ourselves look good or whatever, then we're, we're out in left field. And, and God's saying, you know what, you're, you're not going to get a reward for that kind of behavior because you're more concerned about yourself than even probably the people you're trying to help. Um, I don't know if you saw the, the movie Second Chance with uh, Michael W. Smith and some other people in there. And, you know, he's, he's this yuppie pastor out in the, you know yuppie land and he, he has his sister church in downtown 
the downtown area, you know, kind of a rundown area, and they go once a year and, and they help out in the soup kitchen, you know, for like one Sunday or whatever. And I never get it. He's standing there in line and he's, you know, dishing out this soup and, you know, and he's got, you know, helping these folks and, and uh, he spills some food on somebody, one of the guy's ties or whatever. And he's like, oh, sorry, you know. And, you know, you can just tell his attitude, like, well, obviously it's not like my tie, you know, sure you can go buy another one at the Goodwill or whatever. I mean, he just had kind of an attitude, and the guy was kind of upset. And I remember, you know, as he, he's going on, he looked out of the corner of his eye and he saw a camera, because they were videotaping the whole thing, so then they could put it up on the big screen in church and on the commercials, and, you know, it was one of those big, huge, mega churches. And uh, I remember when he caught the camera's eye, he's like, oh, you know, I'll give you my tie. And he takes his tie off, and he, you know, he goes through this whole thing. You can tell it wasn't a matter of his heart. It was just a show for the camera. And see, sometimes that's how we perform our Christian ministry. And that's how we perform, you know, you know, we, we just want to be seen by man or we want to somehow manipulate God into thinking, if we do this for you, then you've got to do this for me. See, if our aim is to gain the world's rewards, what he says is you're going to get it. But that's all you're going to get. It's going to stop right there. And so it's kind of an interesting part he gets into and he really questions the motive of what's in the heart when you're doing contemporary Christian activity. You know, today in our society, I mean, that's that's really the case if you think about it. I mean, you know, a lot of churches are involved in one-upmanship. They're in a competition for bigness. Um, you know, they issue assurances that God blesses the faithful with material bonanzas and with health and wealth and all this stuff. And it gives almost the idea that we're, we're here bargaining with God. You know, it's like deal or no deal. You know, that's kind of what we're looking at. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's sad, but sometimes that's what it comes down to. And so Jesus wants us to understand that this is not the way that we should be doing these things. And so he says, if you go out in the street and you sound the trumpet before you do this, that's what the hypocrites do. And they have glory from men, it says. They have their glory. That's it. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. And then he goes on there and he says, but when you do these things, in verse uh, 3, but when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, it's, it's interesting here because we have to remember that what Jesus is not teaching is that our righteousness should, be not, should not be seen by men. Because if you go back to chapter 5, okay, uh, remember in verse uh, where's it at? 17 or 16, he says, Let your light shine before men that they may what? See your good works. So what Jesus is not teaching, he's not saying, okay, whenever you do a good work, nobody can see you or you lose your reward. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about what's in your heart when you're doing that good work. Is it purely the motive to be seen by men? Is that your motive? Psalm 106 says, How blessed are those who keep justice, who practice righteousness at all times. Isaiah 58.2 says, Yet they seek me day by day and delight to know my ways as a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God. John tells us in 1 John 2.29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices what? Righteousness is born of him. And then he also, in, in Matthew 5, 16, says, Let your light shine before men. So our righteousness isn't supposed to be hidden. 
That's not the idea. The question is not whether or not your good works should be seen by others, but whether they are done for that end. Why are, they, why are you doing those good works? If you're just doing it to be seen by others, then forget it. You've basically lost any eternal reward. When they're done in such a way that attention and glory are focused on our Father who is in heaven, he says, rather than ourselves, that's pleasing to God. But sometimes we get things shifted around and we want all the glory for ourselves. And if you're doing it to be noticed by men, then you're done doing it self-righteously and you're doing it hypocritically. And ultimately it says that those deeds will be rejected by men. See, the difference is, is purpose and motivation. Why are you doing what you do? When what we do is done with the right spirit and for the right purpose, I think God blesses it. And it will be done in the right way. Some people say, well, isn't Verse 16 of chapter 5 and 6-1 kind of in conflict with each other. One says, let your light shine, let your righteousness be seen by others. And then this one says, oh, whenever you do it, don't do it in front of man. No, because really those two verses are talking about two different things. Um, the first passage, he's, he's dealing with the idea that, that you're not brave to let your light shine. You're, kinda, you're, you're being a coward in your faith in the world. Whereas the second is dealing with obvious hypocrisy he's talking about here. One commentator said this, A.B. Bruce gives this little explanation. He, and listen, this, this is good. He says, we are to show when tempted to hide and hide when tempted to show. <laughs> Understand? We are to show when tempted to hide. In other words, when you're cowering and you're going, I don't know if I can just go out there and talk to this person about the Lord. Well, when you're tempted to hide, we need to show. And hide when we're tempted to show. I, I think it's so important to understand that because, you know, it's, it's so, so key to what's going on in your heart. And today, I mean, in, in the Christian world, I mean, we're bombarded 24-7 with ways that we could give and people that we could give to and all sorts of things. Um, 1 Corinthians 16.2 says, On the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper. See, Christians are to give regularly, they're to give systematically to the church, first and foremost, and then the other ministries. We're to give directly to those who are in need when we have opportunity. Philippians 4.17 says, Not that I seek the gift itself, Paul told the Philippian church, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. See, giving is, is in the cycle of God's blessing in our lives. I'm not talking about a name it and claim it kind of a thing. I'm just saying, if you're a giving person, God is going to bless you. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. See, if we give, God will bless what we give. And when God blesses us, we can give again out of what He's blessed us with. And it's just a cycle that continues. And we're to give freely out of what God has given to us. I just want to share quickly... Basically, a couple principles on the aspect of giving, because sometimes we get all mixed up. You know, sometimes we think, well, I'm giving 10%. That's what the Bible says. No, it doesn't. The Bible does not say in the New Testament that you're instructed to give 10%. Aren't we supposed to tithe? No, you're not. You're supposed to give as unto the Lord, as He purposes in your heart. See, it's not a matter of some legalistic amount, but that's what we make it. Because then we can give the legalistic amount and walk away saying, hey, I feel pretty good. I gave my 10%. And if you want to learn more about that, get the things on giving that we went through last year and it'll talk more about that. Because in the life of a, of a Jew, 10% was only the beginning. That was the minimal amount that they were expected to give. It was more up around 
is what the average person in that religion would give to the things of the Lord. You say, oh man, why are you talking about this? Is church going through a hard time? No. No motivation here. Just trying to help you understand what God's Word says about giving because there's a lot of mixed up things about it. I want to share with you seven principles today. First of all, giving from the heart is investing with God. Luke 6.38 says this, Give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour out into your lap, for by your standard of measure it will be measured to you in return. And Paul even echoes that in 2 Corinthians 9.6. He says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. It's just basic common sense. If you say, hey, Steve, I'm going to go home and plant a garden. I'm going to put strawberries in my backyard. That's my goal. I want to have nice, juicy strawberries. And you take one seed and you just kind of fling it out the back door onto the, the, the dirt there. You know, don't be whining to me in a couple months. You say, I don't have any strawberries. I don't know why I planted a seed. Well, what would you sow? You didn't sow anything. You didn't put anything into it. Your heart definitely wasn't in it. See, giving from the heart is investing with God. That's so important, especially in our economy today. I, I can't think of another way to invest <laughs> other than with God. I mean, then at least you're sure that it's secure. <laughs> Secondly, genuine giving is to be sacrificial. In, in 2, Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel 2, <coughs> 24, or 2 Samuel 24, excuse me, Verse 24, here's what, what, what Samuel has to, to say. He's talking to the king here, and uh, this individual, and he says, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which cost me nothing. In other words, hey, if it's not going to cost me anything, then why would I even give it to God? And you can kind of look at that, that text on your own. But that's the thing. It has to be sacrificial. It's, we're instructed to give sacrificially as unto the Lord. See, generosity isn't measured by the size of the gift itself. That's why, you know, you, sometimes you, you watch certain shows and, you know, you see, you know, people who are just, you know, really, really wealthy. And they'll say, oh, well, you know, here, I'll, I'll give you $10,000 for your charity. And you're going, wow, that's a lot of money. To them, it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. To them, it's a day out. I mean, some of those people spend money like that every day. It's, it's, it's amazing. And see, our giving is to be sacrificial. So it's not the, the amount that we give, it, but it's in comparison to what we have. And that leads into the, the third uh, thing there. Responsibility for giving has no relationship to how much a person has. A person who is not generous when they're poor is definitely not going to be generous when they become rich. I mean, sometimes I, you know, I remember you saying, you know, oh God, you know, if you just make me rich and I could help everybody out, and, and then somebody shares me, hey, if you ain't helping everybody out now, you're gonna help everybody out when you're rich. See, it doesn't, you know, you give out of what you have. In Mark 12, it says, basically, the, the talking about the widow who gave two small copper coins to the temple treasurer, and she gave more than all the rich people who were putting in large sums. Why? Because they put out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty. She put in all she owned. <coughs> all she had to live on. She was trusting God that He would work. I mean, do you think God would, would let you down if you're trusting Him in that way? <coughs> 
Luke 16.10 says, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. See, giving is not a matter of how much we give, about how much we have, but it's, it's really about how much care we have for the people that we're giving to or the cause we're giving to. <coughs> the fourth thing there, material giving correlates to spiritual blessings. See, sometimes we, we forget that, you know, God has entrusted to us certain things. And he desires to bless us, but if we're not faithful in those small things, he's not going to bless us with more. He's just not. Also, and this is important, fifthly, giving is to be personally determined. I'm not going to tell you how much to give, nor should anybody else. Second Corinthians 9, 7 says, Let each one do just as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful what? Giver. If you can't give cheerfully, God's saying don't give. Because if you're giving with any other motivation, if you're giving grudgingly, if you're just going, well, you know, I guess I'll put this in there because then maybe God will, you know, give me something back. If that's your motivation, it's probably not going to happen. Even though the principle's there. Because that's the attitude of your heart. Righteous giving is to be done from a righteous and generous heart. Not in a legalistic percentage quotas, you know, okay, let's see, let's work out the table, all this stuff shouldn't give that way. I think some people are more concerned about the tax write-off when they give than they are about what, who they're helping. Matter of fact, I've had people tell me, you know, hey, well, I'd like to give this. You know, you think I can get a tax write How can we work this? Story? I'm just thinking, man, you just blew your reward, buddy. If that's the only thing you're... Now, we should be wise and at the end of the year, you know, if the government gives us allowances for taxes, there's nothing wrong with that. But hopefully that's not in our mind when we're actually giving on to the Lord. The Philippian believers gave out of the, the, the spontaneous generosity of their hearts because it says that they felt compelled to do so. The Macedonian Christians gave abundantly out of a deep financial poverty. They were very poor, but they gave because they were spiritually rich in love. They cared about what they were giving toward. We're also to give in response to need. We're to give in response to need. The early Christians in Jerusalem shared the resources without reservation. I mean, it was a matter of life and death for some of these folks. Many of their fellow believers had come really just at a loss for anything. They didn't have anything. And when they became a Christian, they lost everything. They lost their business. They lost their family. They lost everything they had. And so they had to pull the resources together. And Paul was instrumental as he went around to the different churches and he'd collect money and he'd help these, these saints in Jerusalem out who just had no whereabouts to get any kind of income because they were kind of blacklisted because they became Christians. You have to be careful. Sometimes there's charlatans out there. Some people out there just after the buck and that's it. I mean, we've all seen those people. We've all dealt with those people. You know, they come into your life for a very short time and express a need and you try to help them out in, in goodwill and then you realize, okay, they're doing this to every church, every person around the block, whatever it is. They don't really want the help. They just want your money. We have to be wise. We have to be discerning. There's always been professional beggars. <laughs> There's some people who are able to work, but they would they don't want to. You know, I've, I've oftentimes asked these older kids that come around the house once in a while to, you know, they're trying to sell you magazines and stuff. You know, a van pulls up and drops off 15 of them, and they go out and canvass the neighborhood. I mean, they're not even usually from our area. They're from back east or Midwest or whatever. And sometimes I kind of like to engage them and just say, you know, <laughs> Is this a good job? I mean, do you really... 
I mean, because it's kind of irritating when you come and you know what you're coming for. And, and usually they get irritated when you start questioning them and end up leaving anyway. But, you know, the idea is, is that, you know what, there's no free lunch here. I mean, why don't you put your resources into something a little better than, than this gimmick that's trying to rip people off. And so we're to give when people are in need, but we have to be wise in doing so. Um, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if anyone will not work, well, then you don't eat. <laughs> right? I mean, if you're not willing to work, then, then why should you eat? I mean, unless there's some kind of disability, something like that, then you would come under the umbrella of the church. But if you're able to work, and you're not working, you're just lazy, then, you know, you, you don't deserve anything from anybody. Last thing there is, is giving demonstrates love not law. You know, in the New Testament, there's no place at all that specifies the amount of the percentage upon which we're to give to the things of God. Nowhere. The percentage that we give out of our income will be determined by really the love of our own hearts and the need of others. That's how it works. Um, and in all those principles, when you put those together, you begin to realize, wow, this is something that we're obliged to give generously because we're investing in God's work and because we're willing to sacrifice for him because he sacrificed for us. And it has no bearing on necessarily how much we give. The bearing is on what's the condition of our heart. Why are we doing what we're doing? And is in every area of righteousness, if, if the heart isn't right, if that attitude of the heart is not right, then it doesn't matter what, what you do, it's going to be rejected by God. And so don't think that when he says here, do all these things in secret, and that we shouldn't do things that are good to do in front of other people. That's not what he's talking about. And when he says there, and he kind of proves that point in verse 3, he says, when you do a charitable deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You know, what's he mean by that? You know, it almost has the idea that you don't even, you're not keeping track of this. You're just doing it out of the, the love of your heart. And you're not, you're not trying to manipulate. You're not, your motivation is pure before God. And you, God is just moving you to do this. And tomorrow you're not down having a cup of coffee saying, Yeah, you, know, you should have seen how much I put in the offering yesterday. Oh man, you know, or boy, I did this or I did that. Because you don't, you don't even remember it. You just know that you sowed it into God's work and He'll bless you as a result of it. Verse 4, he says that your charitable deed may be in secret, matter of the heart. And your father who sees in secret will himself, notice that personal, that personal touch there, he himself will reward you how openly. He will reward you openly. I mean, sometimes we think that, you know, unless we announce it to everybody that we're doing something, God will somehow miss it. And so we feel that, you know, if we call attention to what we're doing, then to everybody else, then somehow, you know, God will hear us too because he could miss it and maybe not record in his book this good deed that we're doing for everybody. I mean, it's kind of silly. But why else would we call attention to it? You know, God will not miss a single reward that you're due. Not one. He doesn't miss one good deed that you do in a, in a right motivation. Hebrews 4.13 says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. See, the Lord knows our hearts. He knows our attitudes. He knows our motives. And every reward that is due to us will be given to us. 
We're not going to show up in heaven and say, hey, wait a minute, God, you know, I think you're shortchanging me here. Remember that time. <laughs> it's not going to work that way. We're going to receive everything that we deserve totally in full because God is a righteous God. And it's God's perfect plan and He'll give those rewards to those who are faithful and, and, and willing to obey Him in these areas. I mean, there's nothing wrong with looking forward to a reward in heaven. See, it's not saying that either. Some people say, well, you know, you shouldn't be concerned about the reward. You just do... No. You know what? If you're doing a reward as onto, or a, 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 something as onto the Lord, then you know what? You're going to get a reward. I mean, there's nothing wrong with looking forward to that reward. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if, if, if your whole motivation is the reward, then there's something wrong. Motivation should be out of love and out of how God has touched our heart and we want to help someone else and whatever it may be. Whether it's giving, praying, fasting. We don't want to call attention to ourselves just so other people could pat us on the back. And if you stop and think about it, the greatest reward that a believer can have is to know that you've done something that's pleased the Lord. You've done your best. That's all, that's all God can ask of you, to do your best. He doesn't say it has to be the best out of everybody. He says, you know what, you just do what you can do for me to the best of your ability. And I'll bless that. So what? You don't have a lot of money. You know, you just give as I lead you to give. Don't worry about the amount. You just focus on what God is leading you to give. He'll bless you. Our motive for looking forward to His rewards with anticipation comes out of Revelation 4, 10 to 11. And it says that we should look forward to, to our rewards and casting them as an offering at His feet. See, even our rewards are going to be giving back, given back to Him. It says, they will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy art thou, O Lord, and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. You know, it's not like you're going to get your little crown and you're going to be up in there in heaven. No, look at my crowns. You know, I mean, dancing around, you know, with crowns on your head. We're going to take those rewards that we get and we're going to lay them back at the feet of Christ, the throne of God. Why? Because He deserves the glory. We don't. So important. To remember that. And as we come to our communion time this morning, you know, it, it's so good that we focus on the glory of God. Because this table that we come before today, the bread and the, and the juice, and the whole communion time that we share together as a body. It's about giving glory and honor where it's due, and that's to Christ. That's to God. We don't deserve it. I mean, the Bible says clearly there's none righteous, no, not one. Not one of us can stand up and say, you know what, I am righteous in my own right. I'm a good person. I, you can say all that you want, but you know what? God's Word doesn't lie. It says very clearly that we've all fallen short. We've missed the mark. We've sinned. And we need the grace of God in our lives. And because Christ was willing to come and to pay a price that nobody else could pay. I mean, we owed a debt that nobody else <laughs> even came close. And Christ was willing to pay that debt on our behalf because nobody else could. God required a, a, a pure, a righteous 
sacrifice. And the only one that was available was Jesus Christ because he was the perfect God-man. He came to earth and he took on human flesh and he lived a life that was honoring and glorifying. He, he not once sinned in any way. And yet he was tempted even as us through his humanity. But he didn't, he didn't fall to that and, and he did exactly what God wanted him to do the whole, whole way through. Thirty-some years of his life from a little child up until early adulthood. And he never once crossed that line in sin because he was the perfect Lamb of God. And when he died on the cross, he didn't die because of his own sin. He died because of our sin. And God had to look at His Son and say, you know what? I have to treat you as if you have committed every sin by every person who would ever put their faith and trust in Me for forgiveness. I've got to put that all on you, Jesus. Because you're the only person that can go on because everybody else has got their own sin. <laughs> you're the only spotless lamb that there is. So when he hung there on the cross and he said, it is finished. I mean, we can trust and we can believe that, you know what? The process of our salvation, the transaction was made on the cross for our behalf. Jesus says, it is finished. And when you come to faith in Christ, you know what? You're going back to the cross and you're saying, you know what? I want part of that transaction. I need that transaction in my life because i got sin everywhere. I've been carrying a burden of sin for years in my life. I've tried to do the right thing, tried to come to church, tried to do all these right things, counseling, whatever it may be. But you know what? There's only one thing that can give you peace and forgiveness and, and a joy that is a lasting joy. See, it doesn't mean that everything in your life is just going to turn up roses after you commit your life to Christ. As a matter of fact, the Word of God says that it may get a little worse. That's what happens. But you know what? You'll have someone beside you each step of the way that would never ever even think of letting you fall away from Him. And that's the love that, that constrains us to come to Christ. That's the love that He died for. That's, that's when He died on the cross. He died for you. He died for you personally. And when you come to Him, you have to come to Him personally. It's not enough just to go to a church or to join this or to get baptized. All those things, they may be good things. But that's not what allows that transaction of God to look at you and say, Wow, you were a sinner. Now you're justified in my sight. You're righteous in my sight. Why? Not because of anything you've done, but because I have given you salvation. And sometimes the first thing that has to happen is we have to look at ourselves and we have to realize that, you know what? We are totally lost. There's no good in me at all. Not even a little bit. I mean, we like to think there is, but you know what? God's Word is very clear. And when you get to that part, that point in your life where you're broken before God, and you can honestly turn to Him and say, God, you know what? It's not about me being magnified anymore. <laughs> it's about you being magnified. That's when God can begin to work in your life in a way that just, you know, it'll blow your mind. You'll never be the same. But you have to come to Him personally. You have to put your faith and trust in Him. You have to say, you know what? I believe what Christ did on the cross for me. And, and, and I have this sin and I want to commit it to you, Lord, because I can't deal with it. I'm tired of carrying it around. 
tired of playing the game, tired of wearing the mask. I want to be real. That's what God wants us to be. Let's bow our heads in a time of prayer as we prepare our hearts for our communion time. And <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we thank you for your word that it does give us principles for our giving. And, and Lord, I pray that our attitude would not be as such that we just do it to be seen by men. Lord, because we know that that's not honoring to you. And Father, we pray that you would help us to to do the things that we do for you and for you alone. And Father, we ask that if, if nobody else sees, that's fine. And if other people do see, I pray that we would guard our, our hearts, that we wouldn't be puffed up thinking that we're more than what we are. And Lord, we ask that you would uh, work in and through us this morning as we uh, just have a time of sharing. And Lord... Um, I just pray that people wouldn't be shy if there's things that they want to share, even if it's a verse or, or uh, how you've been working in their life or anything like that, Lord. This is the time. If we can't do that here with the body of Christ, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, motivate us to, to share those things, that we could uh, encourage each other in the faith for a brief time, and then as we celebrate our communion time together. But Lord, if there's anybody here that has yet to put their faith and trust in you, I pray that they would cry out to you even this morning. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, I commit my life to you. I acknowledge that Christ died on the cross for me. I want to commit my life to him and, and uh, just ask you to forgive me. That's a prayer that he will answer. And he'll change your life as a result. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.